As we've been preparing and thinking about Easter, which is fast bearing down upon us, although you wouldn't know that from the snows outside, uh, we've been looking at the whole idea of new beginnings and God taking us into new beginnings. The declaration of the death of Christ and his resurrection is about a new beginning. It's interesting that Paul, writing in Romans 4, he actually links the two. He links the story of Abraham and the story of the beginning of God's relationship with Abraham and Jesus' death and resurrection. It's also intriguing. I don't know if anybody is particularly interested, but if you're a New Testament scholar, I find it really interesting that the phrase, Abraham was half dead, is exactly the same phrase I was talking about last week that occurs in Hebrews, which wasn't supposedly written by Paul. And uh, it's interesting, the exact same phrase appears in, in the letter. I don't know what that signifies in terms of the New Testament, but it's interesting. And, uh, but Paul is trying to make the point that what we're reading about in Genesis is these stories of death and resurrection, of new beginnings. And in fact, the word Genesis actually means beginnings. And so this book is the story of beginnings. And I thought it was worth taking some time as we prepare for Easter to do something slightly unusual and look at some of the stories of Genesis, some of the new beginnings that occurred in Genesis as this principle of death and resurrection was seen to be worked out in the various narratives. Now, I've, I've really enjoyed doing this again because it's just been great to go back and read the stories of Genesis. I, I, I kind of, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, the, there's a whole generation of people growing up who have never read the wonder and the stories of these accounts in Genesis. And they're amazing stories. They're told incredibly well, incredibly subtly, and they carry profound truths. The story that we're going to look at this morning, Hagar and Ishmael, actually relates to a, a narrative that uh, four and a half billion people look back to. And not only the story of Abraham, but the relationship between Islam and Christianity. And, and, and this story is right at the heart of it. Interestingly enough, our SMP leadership debate is essentially boiling down to two candidates. One, uh, Youssef, a, a Muslim, and one, uh, Kate Forbes, a Christian. Um, it's interesting to compare the two. And, uh, but but, but it, it's this relationship, and maybe you've noticed this week there's kind of been warring going on between the two. And, and actually, the relationship between Muslims and Christians was not, and certainly in its initial phase, is not characterized by that kind of confrontation and clash uh, that we've come to expect and anticipate. In, in, in fact, it's interesting when Paul writes in Romans 4, do you notice he talks about Abraham as the father of all nations? And, and this narrative is not a story about God rejecting Ishmael. It's, it's not about the God of Christianity versus the God of the Muslims and, and, and setting the two against one another. This is actually a story of inclusion. It's the idea, as Paul understood in Romans 4, that Jesus and God is the God of the nations. 
and that actually the descendants of Abraham are embraced in the faith and promise of Abraham, and that God is an all-encompassing God. It's interesting to kind of unpack what that means, but certainly in this story, it means that Hagar and Ishmael are part of God's plan. They, they aren't marginal to it. They aren't a mistake, but they're actually incorporated into God's plan for humanity. And, and the story as we read it, and as I say, it's a wonderful story. And, uh, I'm sorry we don't have the time to, to look at it in more detail. It really has three episodes. It starts in Genesis chapter 16, where Ishmael is conceived. It then tells us in Genesis 17 that Ishmael is not going to be the chosen son who is going to inherit the covenant that God had promised to Abraham. And, and so in Genesis 17, we see Ishmael being set aside in terms of the covenant, but not in terms of God. And then Genesis 21 has the upshot of all of this with Ishmael and his mum being cast out. And, and we see the story that we read of, of this harrowing story of Abraham having to give up his son. I want to look at elements of each one of these episodes. Firstly, it begins in Genesis chapter 16. And you'll see there that here we have a problem. Abraham, when he was 75 years of age, and I love that phrase, half dead, 75 and half dead. <laughs> and, and, and God makes a promise to him, and he said, you're going to be the father of uh, many nations, and as the numbers of stars are in the sky, so will you be your descendants. And, and suddenly Abraham has this, this amazing sense of, of this promise that God's made. But 10 years have gone by and nothing's happened. Now, now when he first got it, it was fairly ridiculous uh, because uh, his, his wife was 65 and he was 75. So the prospects weren't great. But 10 years later, he's like pushing 85 and she's 75. And, and uh, they, they're, uh, they're, they're actually in a state where they're thinking that this is not going to happen. Actually, we're, we're going to see that um, in, in the stories that when Abraham is told that God is going to give him a son when he reaches 100, so that's 14 years after this story, uh, he, it says that Abraham laughed. He laughed in himself. Uh, if, if he was Scottish, Abraham would have said, I right. You know, it was like, oh, I right. And, and, and that's what he did. And then, and then a couple of chapters later, when the three men visit uh, Abraham on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, again, they, they tell him, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughs. Uh, actually, if you read it, uh, it, she laughs at even the thought of having sex with Abraham. That was funny. And uh, she, she sort of falls about. And she laughs. And then when Isaac is born the following year, the name Isaac means one who laughs. And, uh, and you see, it's, it's, it's like the story is, who's laughing now? Who's laughing now? You see, that's what Isaac means. Who's laughing now? God delivers. And, uh, and so we see that in the story. So, so, so Sarah, at the age of 75, and Abraham at the age of 85, pushing 86, she says, you know what? 
This promise thing, I'm sure God's got it sussed, but actually, he probably doesn't mean me. So why don't you take my young maidservant, who's part of our household, and have sex with her and have a son with her? Now, interestingly enough, Abraham doesn't put up a big fight about this. And, uh, I, uh, and uh, although culturally it's fairly alien to us, in terms of the Old Testament, it was, it was part of the duality that existed in, in the relationship between men and women. You see, adultery in the Old Testament consisted of women being unfaithful to their husbands. And that's what adultery was. But a man could sleep with anyone that wasn't a married woman. So he could sleep with slaves and he could sleep with prostitutes. And that didn't constitute adultery. Just so you all know, Jesus changed that, okay? And the big thing Jesus did was he redefined adultery, but that's another sermon. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so what we're reading is the Old Testament kind of uh, framework. And, 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 and so he says, okay, I'll, I'll have a child with Hagar. And, uh, and uh, so he does that. She gets pregnant. And uh, when she gets pregnant, apparently Hagar somehow reacts to Sarah in a way that Sarah feels demeaned. And, and suddenly the relationship between mistress and slave is being thrown into disarray. And, and so Hagar goes to Abraham, and it's, it's a great conversation in Genesis 16, and she says, it's your fault. <laughs> And, and I'm sure Abraham was going, what do you mean it's my fault? This was your idea. And, uh, and, uh, and, and she says, you brought this wrong on me. It's always useful to have a husband to blame. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so Abraham gets blamed for this. Now, Abraham, and, and actually, Abraham here does not characterize a good husband. Okay, everybody that knows me will know I'm a strong egalitarian, okay? So I believe men and women are equal, and certainly in church life and everything, they can serve equally in all roles, in all places. However, actually when it comes to the family, I'm a little bit of a conservative. And I do believe that men have distinctive responsibilities in their households that are different from the ones that women carry. And that men are to act within their household in providing a degree of leadership in a way that women don't. Okay, now I know that's controversial nowadays, and uh, we can discuss it later, but I do believe this. And, and I, I, I think that whenever we see men abdicating their role within the family, in Scripture, we see problems. And I'll go as far as to say, you know, in society, when we see men abdicating their role within the family, we see problems. Just throw it out there. A little bit controversial these days, I know. But I do believe this. And what we see is Abraham just being a disaster. A disaster as a husband. Because he not only has abdicated the decision in terms of Hagar to his wife. But now he, he when his wife says, look, Abraham, this is your fault. Sort the problem. He doesn't sort it. He just says, you deal with it. And then uh, so, Hagar, uh, so Sarah says, okay, I'll deal with it. And, and uh, she, she goes off, and uh, we, we don't know exactly what happens between Hagar and Sarah, but it's sufficient that Hagar runs away, and she thinks, I need to get out of this situation. And so pregnant, she runs away. 
And as she's running, she, she finds herself in the desert. And, uh, and, and, and she's desperate, and she just doesn't know about the future. And, and, and she encounters this angel. And the angel asks her, and I, I, again, I love the questions. It's, it's called the angel of the Lord. And, and in Genesis, we particularly see this occurring quite a lot. And, and it's thought by some commentators that what we have is a theophany. So the idea that God actually has taken a human or angelic form so he can be visible to people. And, and it's thought that this is God appearing to Haggai. And, and he asks her a question, where have you come from and where are you going? It's an interesting question. Where have you come from and where are you going? And, uh, and, uh, and what he's asking Haggai to consider is, what has that journey looked like? And what will the journey go on to look like? And, and, and for Haggai, it must have been a, a kind of terrible situation. Be, because she was in a situation that wasn't of her making. She was now pregnant. She was literally destitute. She was out in the desert. She had no family. She had no support. She had absolutely nothing. And here she is being asked, what's the future look like? Where are you going? And I'm sure she must have thought, I have no clue where I'm going. And God says to her in this situation, you have to understand I am the God who hears. And, and, and the, the name Ishmael means the one who hears. And, and so she named her son in lieu of the fact that God hears. One of the, the things that, that sometimes we miss, and certainly in the rhetoric that we've seen in relation to Islam over the last 20 years, is that Islam, when it was born in the 7th century in Arabia, was very much a, a social concern. And, and, and it was on the side of the oppressed. And, and, and one of the things, and again, it doesn't feature so much in our news, but, but you know, for one of the reasons the West struggled so much in relation to its policies in the Middle East over the last two decades is because we never understood that Islam saw itself as on the side of the oppressed and that it stood and it represented and it worked with those who were marginalized. You see, the reason that often people would do extreme things against the West was because there was a sense that Islam cares for us and we matter to them because it's on the side of the oppressed. And actually, it, this comes from Genesis, comes actually from this story because Ishmael was about the God who hears. And he hears what? He hears the cries of the oppressed. He hears the cries of the people who have been wronged. He hears the cries of those who are marginalized. He hears their cries and they matter to God. And Ishmael was a representative of that notion. And secondly, uh, so, so this encounter, and God says to you to call him Ishmael. And, and then um, 
Then she, as she encounters God and he speaks to her, it says that Haggai gave the name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. You see, she calls God the seer. Now, now there, there's a couple of ideas here. Not only is he the God who hears as represented by Ishmael, but he is the God who sees. And, and, and there's this idea of the future. You see, God sees the future. He knows the future. And then uh, the prophet Isaiah, uh, and, uh, as he prophesies, he speaks about this. You know, what do those dumb idols know? They can't predict the future. They don't know what lies ahead. But our God does. He sees the future, and so he plans ahead in terms of our future. So he is God the seer, the one who sees into our future. And, and so she's calling the, this theophany, this, this encounter with God, this, he's the one who sees and he's told me about the future. But he's also the God who sees in the present. God is the God who sees me. Who sees me? You know, I don't know if you've ever gone to a, a, a conference or somewhere. And uh, I, I remember once talking to a friend and he, he was talking about a, a particular minister. And, uh, and he said, whenever we go to conferences and I speak to this particular minister, I always feel like he's looking for someone more important to speak to. And, uh, and uh, you, you know that sense of, oh yeah, who's here? Oh, okay. And, 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 you know, you go in and you go into a conference or you go to a place and maybe you come to church and you feel you're not seen. You feel you don't matter. And Haggai's witness to the God that she encountered was he is the God who sees me. He's a God who hears and sees. He's a God who I matter to. And so God says, look, I'm listening to you and you matter to me. So go back and face the situation. Takes us into the second episode. Genesis chapter 17 then shows us after the birth of Ishmael that Abraham obviously develops a relationship with him. And, and we, we have another decade, more than a decade going by between chapter 16 and 17. And, and Ishmael has become a young man, and, and Abraham has obviously grown really fond of him. And um, we're told that God speaks to Abraham, and he reminds Abraham of the promise that he had made some 25 years earlier. I mean, this, this is kind of remarkable. You know, 25 years, you would have said, it's not going to happen, is it? 25 years earlier. And he says, Abraham, don't you remember? I promised that Sarah's going to have a baby and, uh, and, and he, I'm going to establish a covenant with his descendants. And, and, uh, and, and Abraham goes, no, well, God, look, I've really got a great relationship now with my son Ishmael. And, um, and, and, and can't we just go with Ishmael? Because Hagar came up, uh, not Hagar, Sarah came up with a plan, thought it was an okay plan. And uh, so I went with it, and we've now got Ishmael. And, and can't we just use Ishmael? As the one. And God says, no, we can't. In fact, he reiterates it in verse 16, 19, and 21. He reiterates, We're gonna, it's going to be you and Sarah, and you're going to have a son. 
three times reiterated because God doesn't compromise. And then Abraham says, but, but wait a minute, what about Ishmael? What about Ishmael? Now, here's the thing. People often read this story, maybe partly because of Paul's take on it in Galatians, that, that, that God was somehow rejecting Ishmael and saying, no, I'm going to do this thing, and that was a mistake, and let's get rid of it. Now, there is no doubt that God did not necessarily plan for Ishmael and for what happened between Abraham and Hagar. I think it was probably a mistake. It certainly wasn't part of the original plan that God revealed. And, and, and I guess we could call it people kind of taking the initiative, partly because of unbelief, partly because of impatience. They had got themselves into this situation. But God says to Abraham in Genesis 17, I still have a plan for Ishmael. Now here's a real truth that's important. See when we blow it, God has, God sets out our life. He sees our life. He wants it to be a particular way. But you know what? We blow it. We make bad choices. We get things wrong. We go in directions that we shouldn't go in. And, 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 and there's sometimes a tendency to think, that's it. God can't use me. You know, I'm an also ran. I don't really matter. I'm a mistake. You know, the choices I've made have just blown it for my future. And do you know what happens in Genesis 17? God shows that my purposes are bigger than our mistakes. And that God, despite the wrong choices that we can make, can nevertheless take those things and use them for his glory and for his purpose. And then actually he can restore stuff to us that's actually better than what it was originally planned. And so Abraham, instead of just having one descendant, one line, and one group of nations, now has two. And he has Ishmael. And God says, I promise that Ishmael is going to be a great nation. So Abraham is probably sitting thinking, this is great. I'm going to have two sons, and they're going to go on to be really successful. They're going to become mighty nations, and I'm going to be the father of all these nations, just like God promises. And Genesis chapter 21 shows God delivering. So here we have now Ishmael, who's about 14, and then Sarah has a baby, and they call him Isaac. And here we have the two sons of Abraham. And we think, this is brilliant. You know, here he is, a hundred years of age, two sons, God's delivered. Haggai's had a baby, Sarah's had a baby. God's going to go on and bless the two sons. And it's just going to be amazing. And, and so in Genesis 21, we're expecting to see the Hollywood ending. And you know what? It doesn't happen. The relationship between Haggai and Sarah breaks down. She was probably concerned. Abraham was planning to divide his fortune, his inheritance between the two sons. And Sarah was probably looking at it and thinking, Ishmael's 14, Isaac's two or three, Abraham's 100 plus. He's not got long to go. If he dies, Ishmael's older. What's the chances for Isaac? Mm, not looking good for my son. And, and so she says to Abraham, you've got to get rid of Ishmael. Now, 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 we're told that this was really heart-wrenching for Abraham. This was his son. 
You know, oftentimes when we tell these stories, it's like, oh, Ishmael didn't matter. He was an altar man. He was a mistake. Not at all. Abraham saw him as his son. And, and it says he was ripped apart inside when Sarah suggested that she had to reject Ishmael. He was upset. Now, God says something really shocking in verse 12. He says, I want you to listen to your wife. And uh, that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> but, and uh, sorry, I had to point that out. And, uh, he says, I want you to listen to your wife. And, and, and here we have this sudden scenario where Abraham has this promise that God has made. He's made a promise to Ishmael and he's made a promise to Isaac. And Abraham is going to have to give up one half of what he sees as the promise. And God's saying, it's okay, do it. You know, in the next chapter, we're going to see the exact same thing in relation to Isaac. You've got to give Isaac up. You know, I, I, I mean, this must have just been crazy for Abraham. Here's this God who's done something amazing and miraculous and wonderful. And now this God is saying, you've got to give it up. You've got to release it. And, and Abraham, you know, the 25-year faith journey must have been amazing. I'm sure he would have been doing it as a testimony in church. But suddenly he is now being asked to go on another faith journey, a faith journey like uh, no other, which is saying, give up your sons. Hand them over to death. Hand them over to death. Now you can begin to see why Paul is seeing an analogy between what happened with Christ and what happens with Abraham. Because he's to give Ishmael over and he's to give Isaac over to death and to have faith that God is the God of resurrection. The story tells us that Hagar and Ishmael go out into the desert. They've got one little flask of water. The water starts to run out. And as the water runs out, Hagar begins to believe that they're about to die. And she lies her son down underneath a tree. And then she travels 100 yards or so and faces him. She doesn't want to hear his cries as he dies. So she goes far enough away that she can't hear the cries, but she can still see him. And we're seeing a mother watching her child die. You know, some of you will know this time last year, we had that experience in our family where a mother watched a child die. There's no more harrowing experience, I believe, on earth. And if you're a mother, you probably know this, than if you have to watch a child die. And she sat there. And again, the way the story is told, we have these two figures in the desert. And Hagiah breaks down and begins to weep. God, all those promises, the God who sees, the God who hears, where is he? We have this moment of death and brokenness. And then verse 17 tells us, and it's really profound, that God hears, and it's not Hagar's cries he hears, but it's Ishmael's. I heard Ishmael's cries, not her cries, but Ishmael's cries. And as the God who hears and as the God who sees me, he responds and he comes into the situation. And suddenly Haggai realizes that God has made provision for her. 
in this point of absolute desolation, in this point of death, in this point of brokenness, in this point of abandonment, suddenly she realizes, God has made provision for me. And there's a well. And if you've got time, you know, read about the wells of Genesis. Because from this point on, the patriarchs and the wells marked. In fact, in a few weeks' time, we're going to talk about the woman at the well, which is one of those wells that appears in Genesis. God has made provision for me. You see, the witness is that despite the, the desperation of the situation, despite the sense of abandonment in the situation, God is still a God who hears and God is still a God who sees me. He's still the God of death and resurrection. And even when it came to giving up a son, there was a promise of that resurrection. You know, it was my privilege to spend some time with Donald Black in the last days of his life. And uh, as Donald was dying, I... Um, I got the opportunity to tell him what I was going to say at his funeral. And uh, I don't often have that opportunity with someone, but I said, Donald, you need to hear what I'm going to say about you at your funeral before you go. And he said, I don't mind, I'm not going to be there. And uh, so, only Donald would. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and we talked, we talked about death. And, and again, it's a difficult thing to do, never an easy thing to do. We talked about death. But then we talked about faith and the belief that death is not the end. But our God is the God of death and resurrection, of new beginnings. And it is in that experience we are invited to walk with the God who sees and with the God who hears. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the journey of Ishmael and Hagia. Lord, forgive us for the times that we read this story and think that you somehow reject people, that you somehow marginalize people, that you somehow treat our mistakes as if they aren't of value or matter to you. Lord, I thank you that despite the choices and the mistakes that we make in our life, you are still bigger than those things. I thank you that you are the God who despite our brokenness still hears and still sees. Lord, I pray that whatever we're facing, whatever loss, whatever experience of brokenness, whatever sense of desolation, Lord, that we would still know you as the God of death and resurrection. Lord, bring us into those new beginnings. Let us know the promise of new life. We ask this in your name. Amen.